Welcome to Leaders of the West, a podcast for innovators and changemakers. I'm your host, Jesse Jarvis, the founder of Of the West, and I'm sitting down with agriculturalists, entrepreneurs, executives, and everyone in between with the goal of digging into the strategies, mindsets, and lessons that have been crucial to the success of ag and Western. Whether you're carrying on the next generation of your family's operation, starting something from scratch, or determined to climb up the leadership ladder, we're going to inspire you to continue to dream big, growing not just you, but the future of agriculture and Western as a whole. Let's go. Welcome back, you guys, to this week's episode of Leaders of the West. I am really excited to sit down today with the executive director of the National Cutting Horse Association, Jay Winburn. Jay is somebody who, prior to coming to NCHA, which he has been at the helm of the Cutting Horse Association since the beginning of 2020, he spent about eight years at National Range Cow Horse Association. Prior to that, he spent time as the marketing director for Hatco, and he was also the marketing manager and event producer for Red Bull. Jay is one of those within the industry who is so well-respected and is really looked up to for not only his leadership style, but also for being somebody who is consistently innovating and looking ahead to see what is next and what opportunities are out there. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation because innovation and leadership is exactly what we are going to dig into today. So with that, here is Jay Winborn. Jay, I am so excited to have you on today's episode of Leaders of the West. You are somebody who has a really unique background. I've also heard that your team maybe refers to you as the most interesting man in the world. Uh, Prior to coming to NCHA, you have spent time working for NRCHA, Hatco, who's the parent company of Resistall, Stetson, Charlie One Horse. You also worked on the event side for Red Bull. Can you give us a little insight into those experiences and what led you here to the helm of NCHA? Sure. You know, I uh, a lot of people are not aware, but I, I grew up at, here in North Texas and deeply involved in the horse industry. And in ni- 1998, I left that to pursue a different career path for a while. And that led me to a event production position at Red Bull. And moved up through the ranks as my tenure there into a marketing director role. But to kind of kind of pull all this together and how I got to NCHA, we did a lot of events at Red Bull and all kinds. I mean, everything under the sun from big nightclub DJ events to supporting mass sports, supporting X Games, all the extreme sports you see, the motocross and the skateboarding and BMX and, and kiteboarding and windsurf, you know, all, all kinds of different stuff. So it was a pretty diverse background that I was put into there and it, it allowed me to learn a lot about event production. But one of the, one of the things that started my pathway back into the equine industry was actually an extreme motocross event that we produced here in Fort Worth. And we did it two years in a row. It was on the uh, west side of Billy Bob's, Texas, in about a 30-acre field. And we built the largest freestyle motocross course that was had ever been built. And this was in 2008. And it was a global property that Red Bull had called X-Fighters. And it was the first time it had come to the U.S. And they had 
asked in the field for ideas to to bring these events because they wanted to always have a theme around this event that we did. And X Fighters historically, it started in Barcelona, Spain. It had a bullfighting theme around it. They did it in the bullfighting ring there and a huge, huge attendance, one of the biggest events they ever did. They branched out to after Barcelona, they did one in Madrid, one in Mexico City, and then they started looking for global activation of this property. And I came up because I had been working on a similar style event, although a much smaller scale. Myself and another guy that I worked with came up with this idea of having a rodeo theme around it. And uh, we had motocross riders coming out of bucking shoots. We produced, uh, I worked with Tuff Hedeman and produced a live bull riding in the middle of the course during the event. We had about 25 different rodeo queens that were our, our grand entry riders that had rider flags. And it, it was this huge Western theme, extreme sporting event. And it was a television product that aired on TV. Uh, we had sold it out two years in a row, over 35,000 people. But what that did was it put me in contact with some people that I hadn't talked to in a long time in the Western industry, in the horse industry. And it kind of pulled me back into that world and how much I missed it. So I made the decision to go to work for Hatco at that time. Hatco is, is the largest hat manufacturer in the world. They have the Resist All Stetson brands and several other brands that they produce that everybody's familiar with. Worked for them as a marketing director, made a couple of strides there, but that was not necessarily where I wanted to be and wanted to get more back into the horse industry. So um, heard about a position that came open with the NRCHA for an executive director, threw my hat in the ring. I, I literally found out about it on a Monday. On a Wednesday, I was on a flight to Vegas. I interviewed with them and on Thursday, they offered me the job and I signed on. So. That's what brought me back into the equine industry. And you were at NRCHA for how long before coming to NCHA? I was at the Rain Cow Horse Association for almost eight years. It's a great association. I, I love it. The people are great. And what was so exciting about going there was they have such a great product. And most of these equine associations do. They just don't know how to put it out in front of people. And one of the things that I was able to do the first year I was at NRCHA was double their membership. And we made a lot of huge strides at the Rain Cow Horse Association. And ultimately, it, it caught the attention of the NCHA. And they talked to me for almost three years about potentially coming over here. And I made the decision in late 2019 to accept the position over here. So because not all of our listeners come from an equine background, can you give us a brief explanation of the NCHA organization, the members that you guys represent, and then the mission that's behind your association, what you guys do and, and who you serve? Sure. The, the NCHA is a right around 15,000 members. We are a global association, obviously with our largest contingent here in, in the States, but Australia, parts of Europe, South America. It's a very big organization for being an equine association. We run a membership database. We track rider earnings, horse earnings. We publish a magazine. 
Uh, we produce a multitude of events through year through our affiliates and independent producers throughout the year, as well as produce about five of our own premier events, including our Triple Crown here in Fort Worth. And you know, it's it's to paraphrase our mission statement, we celebrate the history of the cutting horse and its heritage on on Western ranches and want to try and keep that culture alive and promote the industry. So you had mentioned this to me earlier, but your Triple Crown events actually pay more than the the Triple Crown horse racing. Yep. Almost double. Almost double. That is wild. And I think that people, you know, it's one of those things that we don't necessarily recognize or realize how much money is flowing through our Western sports, but especially on the cutting side of things. Yeah, it's uh, our our events in Fort Worth are are big. We are Will Rogers' single big, biggest tenant. We book more days a year there than anybody else, close to 110 days a year. We're responsible for almost half of the economic impact to the city of Fort Worth for the sporting events they have here. I mean, it is. We have long shows. I think the smallest show we do is 21 days. Our futurity lasts over 27 days. So we're here for a while. Well, I'm so excited that you brought up the innovation side of your Red Bull experience because innovation is what I really want to focus on today. I think the NCHA is a very innovative company. And one of the things that I know about companies who are innovative is they can't have a leader behind the helm who is stagnant. So how important is innovation to an association like yours? And what makes you somebody who is driven by that? You know, it's it's paramount to to our success and the core of what we do as far as a horse and a rider and a herd of cattle in the arena will never change. But what we need to innovate is how we promote that. The old days of just word of mouth no longer garner the results. And also too, I think some of the, some of the ways that we produce our events and some of the, obviously the ways we promote our events we're looking at different avenues and it's not just the events it's our membership it's our association as a whole and what i have really tried to do here and what i've tried to inspire my staff to do is think about this as a lifestyle brand yes we are about the horse and first and foremost that is the most important thing to us but anybody who has ever been involved with horses on any aspect and have either competed, owned them, whatever, you know that once you step over that line, that your life revolves around that and it becomes a center of focus. And to pull those people in and then get their family members involved and their friends and and relatives and everybody else that that comes out to the shows and either participates or spectates, or it's all part of a lifestyle that we all try and adhere to and to promote. Oh, absolutely. I think that that's one of those things as organizations like yours, you really are a lifestyle, whether it is for a family or multi-generational or, you know, different ages. And and it is the thing that, that they are consistently thinking about and involved in. So are you somebody who has always been on the cutting edge of things or was your experience producing events with Red Bull, a brand who really is on the, always on the forefront of what's new? Is that what got you in the frame of mind to be a pioneer of sorts? 
So I went to I went to work for Red Bull. I, I started with them in 2002 as a consultant and then went to work for them full time in 2004. And uh, I will tell you that Red Bull probably set the pace for a lot of new age marketing concepts that you see out there right now. We had an internal joke that we were a content company that sold a beverage on the side because that was a big deal for us. And if you watch what has come out of the Rain Cow Horse and has come out of the NCHA, we are big on pushing content out. I think it's one of the most impactful ways to promote a brand of sorts. And I will tell you, I would not be where I am today without the experience I had at Red Bull because they did a phenomenal job of cultivating their staff and, and inspiring them and allowing them the creativity to come up with a lot of the ideas and a lot of the events that you see that Red Bull puts on that comes from one person pitching an idea in a room and they say, oh, we can get behind that and, and actually making it happen. So I, I will tell you that my time at Red Bull was one of the most important times of my life. So on the company culture side of things, I find that really fascinating. And that's something that we do talk a lot about here on the show, just because that obviously fits the ethos of, of the West. But how do you as a leader instill that same company culture in your team members and really allow them to think creatively? So when it, when I first came here and, and both both here and at the rank Cowhorse, but because of the size of the NCHA and, and the, the scope of the amount of employees that we deal with here, the various departments we deal with, I took a chapter out of the Red Bull playbook, and that was to allow my people to run their respective business. And I tell them, this is this is your deal. And I, I want you to run it and I, I oversee it, but I don't overshadow it. And I'm not a micromanager and I allow people the, the freedom and the creativity to come up with new ideas and ways to make their respective business better. And only if I'm needed, will I jump in and, and help on that part. And it, it makes my employees happier. It makes them feel like they have ownership and allows them the pride of seeing the successes of their work. Well, and I'm sure too then, because again, as a team, when things don't go right, it's not necessarily on them. It's on all of you, which I think that that's another big thing in company culture is nobody wants to nobody wants to be pinned with a failure. You guys just know that that's part of innovation and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and you have to keep moving forward. Absolutely. I mean, you look at all the great quotes from sporting athletes and everybody that they will tell you how many times you fail before you have a great success. And fortunately, we've had a lot of successes and a minimal amount of failures. But I, I think that team mentality, we're able to vet a lot of stuff before we, we roll it out to make sure that we feel it's going to be be successful and be accepted. And And we've had we've stubbed our toe on a couple of things, but we just keep pushing. So back to the, the innovation side of things, and I know that there are a lot of people, whether you're from the ag side of things, the Western sports side of things, the equine side, we are industries that are driven by industry organizations and associations like yours. And one of the things that is important is for associations to be on the cutting edge. But at the same time, that can be difficult because most organizations or associations are led by a board of directors. And it doesn't matter how much you want to change something, 
if the board doesn't want to, then you're kind of at their mercy. So what do you think it is that makes the leaders behind NCHA's board so willing and receptive to those new ideas? Because I know that's one of those things that can cripple a lot of associations and never really make them move into the future. So uh, I will tell you when I first got here that I had a few uphill battles. I'm a pretty good salesman. <laughs> and I, I try to infuse excitement and get people bought in on what we want to do. But also, too, we are able to prove that with results. And once once we roll out some ideas that get some traction, you start building the confidence of your board of directors and they become more comfortable with it. Speaking candidly here, when I when I got here, the culture was at a point where they they knew they had to make some changes. There was a disconnect between our office and our directors, and we have since repaired that and have opened up the lines of communication. And it was the same way at the cow horse, too. I mean, it's just trying to inspire that different way of thinking and different way of looking at things and taking chances. And the fact that, you know, our industry as a whole has been pretty stagnant for for a while. And I feel like collectively we are. 10 years behind what is happening in the conventional business world. And I, I work every day to try and put those new innovations in place that are going to bring us up to speed and garner us more eyes and get us more attention. Therefore, getting the results that our leaders want to see, and it makes their job easier and makes their success better. So once all that kind of converges, it, it's easier to make those decisions on how to move forward. I think that you are spot on in that. Back to the employee side. One thing that I was thinking of as you were as you were speaking is being an innovative leader can be great and it is a great thing. But at the same time, I've been around those leaders where they have a new idea every week and it wears on their employees and their employee morale because then they're tasked with adding more onto what is usually an already full plate. So how do you balance bringing in new ideas with then old responsibilities? and getting buy-in from those who you are teammates with? So when we when we sit down, and a lot of this starts with our budgeting process every year and what we're going to point dollars towards, especially in the, the marketing side and our membership recruitment side, I have between three and five things that I want to see or want to try to achieve per year. I'm not saying that I necessarily do all those, but they're kind of my guidelines. And those may morph once I start getting employee input into something a little different than what I originally planned. But going back to inspiring the entrepreneurial spirit of my staff, I've seen a lot of ideas start off that you think are good, but wind up getting a lot better once you get more heads in the game and start talking about how to put it together. Again, I'm not a micromanager. I don't want to be a micromanager. I I want these people to feel inspired with their job, and I want them to feel their ideas are valuable and important. And we may or may not do what they propose, but there's there's reasoning behind it. Stuff may get shelved. Stuff may move up that we're thinking of two years down the road that we want to go ahead and activate now. So it's having good communication with the team and bottom line, just allow your staff to do their job. So for those leaders out there like me 
who feel like they sometimes struggle with being innovative or creative, what suggestions or tips would you give them? I look at what other industries are doing. And it is very easy, you know, in talking about horse culture as a lifestyle, it is very easy to get in a bubble and not see much out beyond that. And I think there is a lot of really innovative stuff out there and things that we have never thought of doing that are happening right now in various other areas of of event production and of associations. And, and I'm not talking about equine. I'm talking about, you know, some of the sporting events and some of the some of the other culture events that happen out there that could all be looked at and potential components or portions of those things that could be pulled in to make our our events that we do more attractive. So on that topic of blazing new trails, what do you see on the horizon for the future of the equine industry and the sport of cutting horse? Because they are industries who are definitely on a rise. There's got to be a lot of new opportunity that somebody like yourself sees. Can you give us a little insight there? So in order for me to to answer that question, I need to back up a little bit to 2020 and kind of what I was faced with when I first got here because we had some challenges that we were dealing with. And then that was coupled with a global pandemic that dropped in our lap. To me, that was one of the greatest opportunities that we had ever had. And you saw a huge growth in equine sports and Western sports at that time. And I think a lot of things attributed to that. One, first and foremost, and I talk about this a lot with people, you look at the things you were able to do during the pandemic. You couldn't go on vacation. You couldn't buy a new car. You couldn't play golf. I mean, there was just a, you couldn't go to a movie. I mean, the list kept getting longer and longer and longer. And I worked here in Texas with really trying to get horse shows up and up and running again. I actually worked with the state here on adding horse shows back into phase two of reopen Texas. When that happened, we saw, because I lost one event, I lost my March show, and it really scared me. I was very concerned that we were going to wipe out the entire year. And when stuff like that happens, owners tend to pull horses out of training, and people's careers are at jeopardy. And our deal is like a spider web that it expands on just beyond the trainer. I mean, it trickles down to the horseshoer and the guy that runs the feed store and the and so on and so forth. So I was very motivated to rapidly get our industry back on track and get up and going. Through that, with all these things that people were restricted from doing, we were able to have horse shows. And we had an influx of members, some of them that hadn't participated in 10 years, that were not only buying horses for themselves, they were buying horses for their kids, and everybody was loading up in the truck. And and showing, and it spurred our in industry, coupled with the fact that the general population was sitting at home, binge-watching Yellowstone, obviously, and these horse shows are going on. So then we had a built-in audience to come out and watch, and obviously having some of the cast members that compete with us is, is a big draw. But where I'm going with that as well is the world is a pretty mixed-up place right now, and our associations kind of offer a little stability. They're very family oriented. We have a great community here. And when you get over on this side 
it's kind of like an island in the storm. It's not like downtown Seattle or, or some of the other countries that are that are struggling with a lot of the craziness that are going on. And that's when I came up with the idea of really promoting NCHA as a lifestyle brand. I put together a commercial that aired on the season premiere of Yellowstone, a call to action, join the NCHA. And the whole theme of the commercial was built around family and involvement and multi-generational and how we are this this island in the storm. But going back to your original question, and sorry it took me had to take you around the bend to get there. I think we need to think about what is happening in the world, where we are headed in the world today, what potential changes are going to happen, both good and bad, and how we collectively, as stewards of these associations, can not only raise our membership and keep the activity high, but also bring in new people and nurture them and get them to be part of our deal. Because at the end of the day, this is about protecting our culture. And I, w- I will tell you, until that change in 2020 happened, I was very concerned that our culture may be dying. And it, ha- it had been diminishing for a while. Oh, absolutely. Well, I just saw, was it yesterday, I believe? That a statistic came out that in the last 10 years, 2012 to 2022, ag jobs saw a 6% incline, which I thought was an exciting number. But again, it goes to show the same thing of we do think our industries are dying, but they are steadily growing. And I think that 2020 was a real catalyst for change in that on the Western sports and equine side of things, because it gives people something else to really cheer behind and know they can get involved in. I think on a professional sports level, when it comes to football or baseball, you know, it's hard for them to get involved. Yeah, you can go, you can go to the games or you can buy the jerseys, you can be a fan, but you personally are not going to make it down onto the field. But when it comes to Western sports like cutting, that is not the case. Anybody can get out there if you put a little work behind it and you can, that is something that you can do on the weekends. And, you know, I think that that is a really encouraging part of, of this industry. I'd like to add, add one thing to that too, that kind of help tie all this together. First and foremost, I want to say cutting from, from a Western discipline is one of the easiest to get started in because you just kind of got to hop on and sit there. Now it becomes very technical after that. And there's a lot involved in, in it. But as far as bringing new people in, it's, it's very easy. If you look at the past hundred years of American history and you follow times when there were events that happened that changed the course of the history of the, of the country. And I'm going to go back to like World War One. You know, American culture is such that when we get into these uh, dilemmas or, or things happen, we fall back on kind of what our comforts are. And this is exactly what has happened right now. World War I, post-World War I, uh, coming out, leading into the Great Depression, the silent movie Cowboy was King. Post-World War II, you had Roy Rogers and the Lone Ranger and so on and so forth. The, the 60s and 70s, growing up, there was kids play cowboys and Indians every day. I'm the last of the generation of the TV Western on every single night where you would turn on the TV and there's probably at least two, maybe three Westerns on. 
You saw it again in, in the 80s coming out of a huge financial crash or the, the late 70s coming out of Vietnam and the hippie movement and all that. You saw Urban Cowboy hit. It was huge. One thing I want to add, Urban Cowboy came out in 1980. 1985, NCHA reported the highest membership it ever had. And I'm going to come back to that in one second. We're seeing it right now again. The world is a is an absolute mess, and we've all been drawn back thanks to Taylor Sheridan and Yellowstone and a couple of other things that have happened because there is no more iconic representation other than the bald eagle of American culture than the American cowboy. And I feel like you have seen a migration out of the major metro areas into more rural communities. My wife works in the farm and ranch retail capacity. She, she, her job oversees about 1,100 stores around the country. Their business went through the roof during the pandemic. And I mean, people buying everything, panels and chicken coops and, you know, stuff to plant tomatoes and all this stuff. But there's something that, that I see when people get drawn to this culture and they make that move to a rural community. You know, they buy the hat and the boot and the pickup truck. And then the next step of that is a horse. So I want to say, here is the cutting horse. That is the perfect way to to move to the next section of the podcast, which is our rapid fire round. So <laughs> what is the best piece of business or personal advice that you have ever been given? Let people do their jobs. I At Red Bull, I had a CEO there. His name is Dan Ginsburg, and he ran. He came from Hardee's, the hamburger restaurant chain. And Dan was an incredible leader, an incredible motivator. And I remember sitting in a meeting. This was post-Hurricane Katrina, and we were in New Orleans, and we were having a, a regional meeting in the place where they store all the floats from Mardi Gras. And we had just finished a week with Habitat for Humanity building three houses in the Ninth Ward. And he stood up there and gave this speech and it was very inspiring and it was like you want to be successful you want to be part of this come on let's go let's lock arm let's lock step he goes but i expect you to run your business and you to come up with ideas and you to innovate and i'm going to allow you to do that and i'm going to support you to do that and i have tried to take that to heart and carry it through my career if you could give people any words of wisdom and you knew that they would take it to heart, it doesn't have to be business. It could be anything in life. What would it be? So <laughs> I, I brought this up at a deal I did with APHA a couple of years ago. They had a big symposium because as great as these associations are and as great as the people are that involved with them, and I don't think it's just horse association. I think it's just the way society works in general. A lot of times we, it is tough to accept new people into our industry. And I challenge them and I, I'm like, we had a whole group of leaders from numerous associations. All the, all the HA associations were there. And I just, I threw it out there. I said, we all talk about wanting new members and wanting, you know, to build our membership, but do you really want it? Because we don't act like it when they come. And it boils down to every single member. When those people show up, introduce yourself, say hello to them, you know, 
I, I've challenged our youth groups, both here and at the Cow Horse, bring one friend to a horse show, you know, let them see it. They may love it. They may hate it, but at least they know what it is and they understand it. But I, I think overall, the one thing I would say, and especially to the people that are listening to this podcast, when the new people show up, yeah, their hat may not look right or they may be wearing dingo boots or something like that. But they're there because they have an interest in it and they want to try and be a part of it. And let's get them pointed in the right direction and help them along. Oh, that one really spoke to my soul. I think that that is something that is incredibly important, especially as more and more people are becoming removed from our industries. That means that we have an even heavier lift of bringing them along for the ride more and more and connecting them with our Western heritage and culture, for sure. It is hard to get involved in the horse stuff right now, unless you have someone that's going to walk you through it. I mean, coming in cold, it is very difficult. Yep. We've all got to have a friend. Okay. Well, yep. speaking of friends, and it doesn't have to be a friend, but if you could go to dinner with anybody dead or alive, who would you pick? Man, the list is tremendous because there's so many people that have impacted my life that I, I respect and look up to. And, you know, it, it would be everyone from Winston Churchill to Dietrich, who is the owner of, of Red Bull, to Elon Musk, to uh, Thomas Toll, who's doing some really innovative things with Teton Ridge. But if I had to, if I had to pick one, I don't know if I could pick just one. I mean, well, we can have a table of innovators, but I'll only allow it if I'm allowed to come too, because I want in. I want to be a fly on the wall and hear all of the just the wisdom that could come out of that dinner. <laughs> It would, it would, it would be, uh, uh, well worth the money to be attending that. Again, I, I, I rely a lot on what I see happening in other industries and other cultures to kind of help guide me. And I, I think being open minded is, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I'm, I'm able to, to kind of understand some of that. But there's also too, I mean, there's people within our sport that I would love to, that are innovative. I mean, trainers that are out there and owners that, you know, I have my group of membership is some of the, some of the most innovative people in the world. What is one quote that you lead your life by? Well, I'm very sarcastic if you know me personally. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. I mean, I was thinking of one this morning I said, but it's not, I wouldn't say I'll leave my life by, but it becomes apparent a lot of times that no good deed goes unpunished, but that's not necessarily the mantra I live by. I, I like more along the lines of go fast and take chances. Ooh, go fast and take chances. That's a good one. Okay. Last question for you. Let's talk about favorite things. One of the things that I think that is kind of an, an injustice, if you will, is we all have these things in life, whether they're a book or a product or a service that we cannot live without. And when we go to tell somebody about it, they've never even heard of it. So whether it's a life hack or like I said, a podcast, a book, what is something that has changed your life in some way? You know, obviously, and I talked about this earlier, my time at Red Bull, it's a, it was an amazing brand and it set me up for a lot of the success I had, the things I learned there. That is, is one thing. I can't live without a can of Copenhagen. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, a lot of people don't know this about me and a lot of people don't 
are surprised when they hear it, but I have my own horses. I compete in another sport actively about half the year. Um, my wife and I travel quite a bit, but I don't know. Probably one of the things that's made the biggest impact on my life was my time at Red Bull and the incredible brand it is. And it's something I still respect, even though I'm not there anymore. Well, I can tell that you've put a little bit of it along the way in the organizations that you have been a part of. Jay, thank you so much for sitting down today. This has been an awesome conversation. I am so inspired by you and how you do lead with innovation. And I know that our listeners are going to be as well. So thank you so much for hanging out with us. And for those of you who are listening, we appreciate you. Uh, Do us a favor, make sure that you're following Cutting Horse Association on their social channels because you know you're hooked now. You want to see what innovation they've got cooking up their sleeves. And then, of course, make sure that you're following Of The West. And if you had a takeaway from today's episode, please do us a favor, share it with us, share it with your friends. That makes a big difference to all of us, and we appreciate it more than you know. And with that, we will be back here next week. If you loved this episode, do us a favor and share it with someone else who might find just as much value in it as you did. We're on a mission to continue to grow and strengthen the future of agriculture and Western industries, and you spreading the word helps us make more of a positive impact. It also makes a big difference when you take a minute to go rate and review the show. We can't thank you enough for listening, for sharing, and for loving Ag and Western as much as we do. We'll see you back here for our next episode.